fun with science with Travis and Steve. Today we're going to try an oscillating reaction. And essentially we're going to add this liquid to a liquid compound we've already created and watch it change. Let's do it. Do it with this cool stirring table. to a blue-ish, orange-ish, to orange. Do you get the feeling those guys have entirely too much free time on their hands? <laughs> words matter. How we use words and our understanding of those words go a long way in shaping our perception and understanding of any given situation. Words are a big deal. I'm blessed to be married to the most beautiful woman in the world. She's also a speech pathologist, which is awesome if you're one of her clients, but can be somewhat troublesome if you're her husband and you preach from time to time. Because <laughs> every now and then on the way home in the seat next to you, you realize it's awfully quiet and she'll be there with her arms crossed being silent. I don't know about your car, but arms crossed and silent and mine equals bad. <laughs> And years ago, I made a rookie mistake. I said, so what'd you think? I have learned since not to ask that question because my wife is more than happy to tell me exactly what she thought, as wives do. 32. 32? 30, 30, 32 what? 32 ums in your sermon. Oh, Really? Okay, I can work on that. I'll, I'll do that. And I figure, well, that's the end of the conversation. Oh, no. And irregardless is not a word. <laughs> yes, it is. No, it's not. It means not without regard. It's a double negative. It's not a word. How many of you thought irregardless was a word? All right, so I'm not alone out there. Apparently, it's not. <laughs> Now, being the wise sage of a husband I am and the mature one in the relationship, I looked at her and said, well, irregardless of what you think, I'm going to use it. <laughs> Which was pretty dumb because that just made her matter. <laughs> Words matter. Words are important. And how we understand them and use them goes a long way in communicating properly. Watch this video with me that highlights that. The big question is, does he like you, right? Because if he doesn't like you, this is all a moo point. Huh, a moo point? Yeah, it's like a cow's opinion. It just doesn't matter. It's moo. The word is moot. Which means having no practical significance. Words matter. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, campuses. Welcome to those watching online. We are continuing our series, Chain Reaction, as we journey through the book of Colossians. And we've learned that chain reactions are where one event sets off a series of other events, which may or may not set off another series of events. 
Last summer, I had the privilege of walking through the book of Colossians with a group of leaders at the Bettendorf campus, and we had a great time. But one of the things we discovered in that journey, particularly in chapter one, is we kept coming across these big words. I call them the important words of the, of the Bible. And uh, well, irregardless of which version of the Bible you used, it's going to be a long ride home. And regardless of which version of the Bible, that word tended to be there, which meant it was the best word in English of expressing what the author was trying to say. And by the time we get to where we are at in our study of Colossians today, we've already come across several of these words, some of them like apostle, holy, grace, peace, faith, heaven, gospel, redemption, And one of the habits, bad habits we can get in when we're reading scripture is that we can read past one of these big words and just assume we know what it means. Or worse yet, maybe we'll put a modern context or a modern understanding of what that word means. And in doing so, it may not align perfectly with what the author was trying to say from an ancient perspective. And so we need to get a grasp of what these words mean from a biblical standpoint. I'll give you an example. Last week, Pastor Sean was talking about there was a word called redeem. Now, redeem is a word that in our modern context we use to maybe say, listen, I redeem a coupon or maybe I'm redeeming some stocks and some bonds. But we find out that this definition doesn't necessarily align with a biblical understanding of what redeem means because in the Bible, to redeem something meant to purchase something out of slavery. If you are a redeemer, you are purchasing someone out of slavery. If you have been redeemed, you have been purchased out of slavery. And this doesn't necessarily align perfectly with our modern understanding of the word. I guess it could be, but if you want to weird out your cashier, you could go, listen, I'd like to set this product free from high prices. But that probably doesn't align perfectly with the biblical understanding of what it is. That's why I want to encourage you when you read the Bible, and I do encourage you to read the Bible, to have a Bible dictionary. This is a Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary. It's the one I use. I have a couple others too, and there's some good ones out there. But I want to encourage you to use a Bible dictionary. Please don't always use a modern dictionary because it may or may not align itself with the ancient ideas the writers were trying to convey. You can get these at your local Christian bookstore or online book dealers. Uh, There is available in ebook format as well. Today we're going to come across another one of those big words of the Bible, and I want to break it down and try to get us to understand exactly what it means. That word is reconciliation. It's a word that we may or may not use in our daily conversation, but it's an important word in the Bible, and so it's, I want us to try to get our arms around that and understand what it means, because it has enormous implications on our life when we understand what this word means. So I encourage you, if you have your Bible, your electronic device today, to turn to Colossians chapter 1. It is inside your worship guide as well. We will be putting it on the screens too. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 21, we read this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The first thing I would want you to know about reconciliation is this. Reconciliation is the act of restoring harmony. Reconciliation is the act of restoring harmony. 
It's taking what was once broken and making it whole. It's taking things that were separated and bringing them back together. It's moving relationships from being enemies and alienation and conflict towards fellowship and grace. And Paul's saying that we were once alienated from God and were enemies in our mind, but through the death of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity of being reconnected to God. I love this quote from Merrill Tinney. He's a, a scholar from the 20th century. He said this, reconciliation is God's exercise of grace towards the person who is an enemy because of sin. And this is an important differentiation that we understand. As people outside the life of Christ, we are not simply sinners in need of forgiveness. We are definitely that. But if we stop there, we're only telling a part of the story. We are more, according to the Bible, than simply sinners in need of forgiveness. What Paul is saying here is that we are enemies in need of surrender. We're not just bad people uh, that need to be good. We are rebels that need to lay down our arms to a king and surrender to him. And so the story's bigger than simply just forgiveness. And it's important to remember who Paul is speaking to here because I had a friend that once read this verse in Colossians that we just read and said, see, God has already done the act through Jesus of reconciling all things. But that would be a misunderstanding of the scripture because just as it is important that we get out a Bible dictionary to help understand what the words mean from an ancient perspective, it is also important when we read the Bible to ask this question, A, who wrote it and who are they writing to? And when we go up to verse 2 in chapter 1, we see that Paul says to God's holy people in Colossae. In other words, Paul is writing this to the church. He is writing this to believers. He is writing this to followers of Jesus Christ. And this is important that we understand that. He's saying those who are followers and believers in Jesus Christ through Jesus are being reconciled to God. If you have not made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, if you are are not a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible is clear here, you are still alienated from God and you are enemies in your mind. And that may be harsh language, but I want us to be clear on that because the challenge is, is I want you to step into the work of God through Jesus and be reconnected again. And Jesus gave us a great illustration of what reconciliation looked like that we're going to look at here in just a moment. He never used the word reconciliation in this place, but instead he painted a word picture of what that looked like. And so I'd like for us to take a moment and listen to the words of Jesus. It's in John chapter 14, and we're going to be at verse 19 about midway through. He says this, Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And so to show what he's saying here, let's back up just a little bit and understand the big story, the big story of mankind and what happened. And the big story starts with God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, God created all things to be good, including humans. 
And he said, it is good. And we were in communion with God. We had harmony with God. We were connected to God. And that was the original design is that we'd be connected to God. But mankind determined that they wanted to put themselves above God, that they knew better than God. And so they rebelled against God. And in doing so, Paul said that we became enemies in our mind and we were alienated from him. We were disconnected from God. Hopelessly separated by this chasm and this gap, and there was absolutely nothing we could do to reconnect ourselves to God. There's nothing in our power we could do to come this direction. We were separated by God because of our evil behavior and because of our sin, and there was nothing we could do about it. But God, because of his grace and because of his love, sent his son Jesus to us. And the verse in John chapter 14, as we read it again, he says, because I live, you, will, you also will live. He's predicting his death and his resurrection here. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And what Jesus is saying here is that I'm in my Father, you're in me, I'm in you. Through me, you can once again be reconnected to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. What was hopelessly separated by our sin and our rebellion can, through Jesus Christ, allow us to be reconnected to God and that's really good news. But the second thing is we're building our case here to understand and that I'd want you to know about reconciliation is this. Forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing. Forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing. To highlight this, I want to illustrate it with a couple of stories. And the first one is this. Let's say we have a woman in the church and we find out that she is in a destructive relationship of abuse, both verbal and physical abuse. A group of people decide to remove her and help her get out of that situation so that they can minister to her and bring healing into her life. And over the course of her healing and being ministered to, she comes to the realization that she needs to forgive her husband for his destructive behavior, and she does so. Let me ask this question. Just because she makes a decision to forgive her husband and truthfully does so, does that mean that the best thing to do after that is to put her back in that situation? Now, every situation is different, but I think most of us would say, no, why not? Because although she may have come to grips with what was going on in this relationship and how destructive it is, the husband may not have. And if he has not come to grips with his destructive behavior, with his abusive relationship, and with what he's doing to her, then we are simply going to be putting her back into the same situation to repeat itself over and over again, a cycle of violence, and that's not fair to her, is it? Because he has not come to grips with who he is. Let me give you a different example. Let's say you go into business and you have a business partner. And over time, you come to realize that this business partner has been ripping you off for tens of thousands of dollars. You determine to dissolve that business relationship. But over time, as you immerse yourself in the teachings of Jesus Christ, you realize that we as Christians are called to forgive others no matter what. 
that there are not contingencies built on forgiveness, that the Bible says we are to forgive as Christ Jesus forgave us. And there's no but after that. We are called to forgive. So you make a decision to forgive your business partner for stealing from you. Does that mean even though you made a decision to forgive your business partner that you should go back into business with that business partner again? Why not? Because again, if that business partner has not come to grips with their behavior, if they've not come to grips with their greed, if they've not come to grips with the fact that stealing is wrong and they're not supposed to do that, you would simply be repeating the same thing that happened before, which gets us to our primary distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is something I can do to you or something you can do for me. I can choose to forgive you. You can forgive me. It is a singular act. But reconciliation is something different altogether. It takes two to reconcile. It takes two to reconcile. Whereas forgiveness only takes one, I forgive or you forgive, Reconciliation takes both parties coming to the table to figure out what happened, how this relationship got severed, how it got disconnected. Reconciliation often means that one or even both parties need to change and need to adapt new ways. If reconciliations to occur, it takes two people or more. Forgiveness, just one. And this is an important differentiation because I want to look at that verse again in Colossians 1.22. He says this, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. An important distinction we need to make here in our relationship with God is this too. The Bible never says anywhere that God is reconciled to us The story of the Bible is that God is at work through Jesus reconciling us to him. God didn't do anything wrong in this relationship. It is our sin. It is our evil behavior. It is what we did that separated us from God. So God is not being reconciled to us. We are being reconciled to him. And what's important is this. Sinners are reconciled because God has changed them through Christ so that they can be reconciled. Sinners are reconciled because God has changed them through Christ so that they can be reconciled. And what's important for us to realize is that God is holy, God is perfect, God is pure. What it says in Malachi 3, 6 is this, I, the Lord, do not change. God doesn't change. God is perfect. God is holy. God is pure. So if God is perfect, pure, and unchanging, and reconciliation takes two, guess who has to change in this relationship? Us. I, the Lord, do not change. If reconciliation is to happen, it is us that has to change. Through Jesus Christ. Which gets us to what Pastor Sean was talking about a little bit last week when he said the difference between being and doing. There is absolutely nothing we can do to be reconciled to God. It is only through the saving work of Jesus Christ changing us that we become 
people who can do, people who are being, not doing. And that's a big distinction. There's nothing you can do to reconcile yourself to God. It is only through Jesus changing us and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And so if God is in the business through Jesus of changing us to become more and more the people that he created us to be, what is he changing us into? To find that out, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's another area in the scripture where Paul is talking about reconciliation. And so I encourage you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, we see this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's the change we're talking about. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us. What is the result of this life change that Jesus brings into our lives? What is it that God is changing in us through Jesus to become? And the answer is simply this, we are called to be ambassadors. We're called to be ambassadors. But again, here's another one of those big words that we may come across in the Bible that we may not have a full grasp on And we need to understand what this word means if we understand what it is that God is truly calling us to when he says he wants us to be ambassadors. Ambassador is a word that hasn't really changed all that much over the last few thousand years. So I'm going to use a modern context to help us understand what the meaning is. The United States currently has diplomatic relations with about 180 countries. Of those 180 countries, we currently have about 153 ambassadors serving those countries. We also have other types of ambassadors, ambassadors that uh, represent organizations on our behalf, such as the United Nations or the World Trade Organization. To be an ambassador, it's an appointed position, not an elected position. In the United States, you are appointed by the President of the United States and confirmed by Congress. And an ambassador is a unique thing. In case you're thinking of becoming one, an ambassador is a unique role in government because the essential thing you need to know about an ambassador is an ambassador is not appointed to have an opinion. You say, well, what do you you mean by that? Well, most of the officials, when we elect them, we elect them based upon their platform, based upon their ideas, and we elect them and they go to their legislature and begin to try to enact their ideas and make them happen. When the president puts a cabinet around them, he finds hopefully experts in their field that come in and can share their ideas and their opinions with him because they need that if they're going to deal with tough, difficult situations. They may leave that room speaking as one voice, but you don't put yes people around you. You need people who are going to be saying, this is what I think is best for the country. That is not the job of an ambassador, however. That is not what an ambassador is appointed to do. 
The job of an ambassador is to represent the ruler and the country from where they are from. The job of the ambassador is to be the voice of the leader when that leader cannot be in the room. Our president cannot be in 183 different countries at one time. And so we appoint ambassadors to speak the very words of the president. Now, here's a differentiation in the thought on this. Whereas our president can't be in 183 rooms at one time, our God can. But our God has always, throughout the story of the Bible, used a group of people that bear his name to do his work. That's how he's worked. And it's the same thing here. God has used ambassadors to bear his name into the world and to represent him. And so that's what we are called to do, to represent him. An ambassador, when they speak, it is as if the person that they represent is in the room. The ambassadors of the United States, when they speak to another country, it is as if the president of the United States is speaking himself. That's why they can't have an opinion. We don't and cannot afford to have 153 ambassadors out there saying 153 different things. They need to be concise and on point. Their words are the words of the president when he is not in the room. They represent him and they represent the country. As the people of God, we are called to be ambassadors. We are called to represent the kingdom of God and our king, Jesus. And that's not different from our original calling in the Garden of Eden at creation. We were called to be the image of God. In other words, we are the reflection of God on the world. When the world sees us, when it sees what we do and what we say and how we do it, they are to see this living God at work in the world, bringing hope and healing in all they do. But something went terribly wrong. And essentially it was this, we got fired. Because we did what an ambassador is not supposed to do. We decided our opinion was more important than God's opinion. I know what to do with this piece of fruit more than God knows what to do with it. We elevated ourselves above God. We determined that we were the masters of our own domain. And in the process, Paul said we became alienated and enemies in our mind. And so as Pastor Sean talked about last week, we are a people in need of rescue. And that's what Paul has been leading up to so far in Colossians chapter 1. We're in the series, it's called Chain Reaction, and what we're about to find out is that God did indeed send rescue into this world, and that rescue has enormous implications on our lives because by sending Jesus, he set off a series of chain, a chain reaction that's important for us to understand. And so inside your worship guide is a second drawing. And what we understand is God, through his grace and through his mercy, sent rescue to us. Even though we had turned our backs on God, he did not turn his backs on us. And he sent his son Jesus to the world. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, it set off a chain reaction of events that greatly affects those who determine to follow Jesus Christ and step into the work that God is accomplishing. And the first thing that it accomplished is it set us free. 
that we were set free from our old lives, we're set free from our old ways, that we don't have to live the way we used to, that we don't have to live with addiction, that we don't have to live with sorrow and pain, that we don't have to keep going down those roads, those dead-end roads that have just debris and destruction behind them. You can have new life through Jesus Christ. He can set you free from the slavery of sin. You don't have to be who you were. That's pretty good news. The second thing, the second chain reaction it did is that we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. He can wipe your slate clean. God's not paying you back for something you did 20 years ago. God's not angry at you. For those who have stepped into the saving work of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Your slate is wiped clean. It's more than simply a not guilty verdict. There's another big word in the Bible that you'll see from time to time. It's justified. And a Sunday school teacher many, many years ago taught me one of the corniest ways to remember what this word meant. And he simply said justified. It's justified. Never done it. And it's exactly right. It's not simply a not guilty verdict we have received through Jesus Christ for those who call him Savior and Lord. He has wiped your record clean. It's not that you're not guilty. It's as if you never did it to begin with. Your record is clean. You have been set free. You have been forgiven. In Acts 13, 38, Paul says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. In Galatians 5, 1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so because we've been set free and because we're forgiven, we can be reconnected to God. We can be reconciled to God. Ephesians 2:13 says, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ." God is in the business of restoring all things and putting back the broken pieces of our lives so that we can be reconnected through Jesus Christ to him so that we can be the ambassadors, the citizens and representatives that we were called to be. And so if we are called to be ambassadors of God, it simply begs this question to us. What message does your life send to the world? What message does your life send to the world? What you're doing, what you're saying to your family, to your community, to the workplace? What message does your life send to the world? When others see you, do they see this amazing God of rescue at work bringing hope and healing? Which gets us to our so what moment. If we're called to be ambassadors that represent a king and a kingdom and to bear his message to the world, what is that message that we bring to the world? Paul answers that, and we're just going to read a part of it in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. 
the early church had a simple message, Jesus is risen, and that message had implications on their understanding of who Jesus is. And the message they took out to the world was called the gospel, which simply means the good news. And behind that gospel and that message, Jesus is risen, was this one core reality that binds it all together that we need to get our arms around to fully understand it. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's simply this. Jesus is king. Jesus is king because of his death and because of his resurrection. Jesus is king. And that's really good news. Because it gives us an amazing story to tell. We are more than simply forgiven. For those who are in Christ Jesus, God sent his rescue. He sent his son into the world who died and was resurrected. And because of that resurrection, we have been set free from our old lives, forgiven of our sins, and reconnected to God. That's pretty good news. And it's for all those who wish to bow down to a king and surrender, and therein lies the problem. You say, if this is such good news, why don't more people do it? I mean, this is good news. You can be set free, you can be forgiven, and you can be reconnected to God, but why don't more people do it? And it's because the price is too high. The entrance fee is nothing less than bowing down on your hands and knees to a king and giving it all up. A relationship with Jesus begins by surrendering it all. And too many people are out there saying, I'm not sure I'm ready to surrender it all. I'm not sure I'm ready to give up everything. I want to hang on to my opinion. I want to hang on to my agenda. I want to hang on to my ways. I want to be the master of my domain. I am the king of my little kingdom. I'm not ready to give it up. Because to say that Jesus is king in your life simply means this. He is calling the shots in your life. He is king above all. But if you want to be a person that can live set free, forgiven, and reconnected, that is available to you through Jesus Christ. And it starts by surrendering your will and your way to the king. Which means he's calling the shots. The gospel says that Jesus is king, but the question still remains. Is he king of your life? Is Jesus calling the shots in your life? My dear friends, this is really good news. What was once disconnected from God because of our evil behavior, alienated, and we were enemies in his minds, you have the opportunity through Jesus Christ to be set free from your previous life, to be forgiven of your sins, and you once again can be reconnected to God by surrendering your will and way to Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I know there are people out there today that have never made that decision to follow you. Maybe they've been towing the line a little bit and tap dancing around it. Lord, may they understand today the importance of the freedom and the forgiveness and reconciliation that comes through you. And so today, Lord, if there's someone here that has not done that, may they just say this prayer quietly where they're seated while I say it out loud.
Dear God, I am a sinner. My evil behavior has separated me from you. And I no longer want to be an enemy. Lord, I want to experience that life change that we've been talking about. I want to be forgiven. I want to be reconnected to my creator. I boldly declare today that you are king in my life. You are calling the shots in my life. I surrender it all to your grace and your mercy. Today I want to start living for you. In your name, amen.